0: I'm going to put my hands together and do this. I'm going to pray. I pray out loud. I used to close my eyes. What do you do now? Leave my eyes open. Why do you do that? Just to look at if Lucy's leaving her eyes open. Some people that I pray for is babies that are being like just born or people who have gone to heaven. You know, it's more important to talk about other people before you cuz you want to put God first, the people who do not have parents and who are sick or injured and then yourself. So you want to go step by step up and down. Um I pray about I I pray for God when I am done with gymnastics. You want me to be a ballerina and a cheerleader. I'm <laughs> um, getting American Girl dolls sometimes. What is Christmas? What do you pray about at Christmas time? A present. I pray about stuff that um that I'm nervous about doing. I pr- I sometimes pray for grace and mercy. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for food. Amen. Amen. I love that. Today we land in Daniel chapter 9. As you turn your copy of scriptures to Daniel chapter 9. um, That's where we're going to be. And the question I want to ask you today is, what do you believe about prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? Is there a way to pray effectively? Today we're going to be landing in Daniel chapter 9. And the the title of Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel's Prayer. And we as a church, we acknowledge that Prayer undergirds everything that we do. We believe in prayer. We believe in interacting with the living God that he leads us and he gives us great insight and understanding. We believe it so much that it's a core value here at Rolling Hills. And so here's why I want to start out. I want to start out by praying for today's message. So will you pray with me? God, we love you. God, give us great insight today. God, may we forever be changed by what you're telling us through your word. God, your word does not return void. You are the living God, and we are so grateful to be here to worship you in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So recently, I made a transition, uh, transition role. So uh, as of April 1st, I transitioned from being a, stu- a student pastor here at Rolling Hills. I was actually a student pastor for 14 years love student ministry that's where my heart will always be but I transition to a family pastor role and you're like what does that mean well um, I work with preschool kids and student ministry and what we do we do three things we disciple kids we help equip parents in order to make stronger families that's what we believe and while I've been in this process of transitioning in this new role and trying to figure it out My family has been through another transition in itself. And so April 30th of this year, we had our firstborn. Her name is Catherine Emerson Baker. And here's a picture of her. She's a sweetie. I love her. Um, I love being a dad to this little girl. I love everything about it. I love um, holding her in my arms, her falling asleep. I love the playtime. I love the tummy time. I love all that stuff, the goo-goos, the the coups, those, all, all, those, all those things, but there's some things that I didn't expect as a dad. You're like, well, what, what is one of those? Well, I'll tell you. The blowout diapers. I didn't expect it. Uh, the first time it happened, I was like, what in the world happened? How could all of this come out of something so small? And the thing about a blowout diapers, for those who've had little children, little babies, infants, is it, it, it doesn't just blow out in the diaper when it means blow out it blows out of the diaper onto the clothes and so what you find yourself is it's not only on their clothes it's all over you and i was like what in the world so so then you have to go through the process of changing baby which i'm not very good at by the way like the arms and the holes I, it's it's hard for me it takes me 30 minutes to change this little girl and so I, i'm taking her and changing myself changing the girl and Kit's in there just staring at me like, what in the world are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. Where's mom? And so I'm changing her. And then you change her, right? Everything's set. takes me 30 minutes. And then 30 minutes later, what happens? Again, it happens again. And I turned to Courtney. And I was just like, look, wouldn't it be easier if we just go no clothes and just put plastic all over everything? That would make it a lot easier. That would be terrible, terrible parenting, I know. But it would make it a lot easier uh, in our lives. It, that's one surprise. And another thing that we didn't expect is for kit to be a preemie you know she spent some time in the NICU some of you have been following our story and then eight weeks into her life she was diagnosed with a rare condition it's a chronic condition called biliary atracia and i wanted to tell you this share this with you because some of you may not may not know um, but pretty much what happens is your filtration system in your body your liver and your small intestine, really it's the livers is the problem, everything in between the liver and the small intestine. Um, whenever your body doesn't, um, obviously when it doesn't excrete, all the waste goes back into your bloodstream. And so obviously that's urgent. And so two days after the diagnosis, another thing we didn't expect, we didn't expect her to have surgery. And we didn't expect her to have a six hour surgery. And so all of this is very unexpected for us. Life has been a whirlwind over the past 12 weeks. And what we've seen is that she's had the surgery. She's recovering nicely. We still don't know the long-term effects. But here's what I want to say to you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us in this whole process. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for the meals. Thank you for um, words of wisdom. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for listening when, we're trying, when we just complain. Thank you for, for crying with us. And most of all, thank you for your prayers. We feel them and we're very grateful. What you're going to hear from me today about prayer comes from a place of desperation. And what, what I've learned over the past 12 weeks is praying out of a place of desperation. I don't know if you've ever prayed from a place of desperation, but it changes your perspective. And so my prayer today as I kind of give you what God has, has taught me over the past 12 weeks is something that's motivational and inspirational to you. So today, as we continue this series, we've been trying to answer the question, how do we live in a modern day Babylon without being corrupted? to be a people God set apart, to live in a society where you turn on the TV and you scroll through, through your social media, and time and time again, you're constantly reminded that we live in a broken world, and we need the church to rise up. That's why this subject today is so important. We need the church to rise up, and a part of that is, is our prayer lives. And for, for 90% of the people in the room, I bet you would say my prayer life is not where it should be. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want to put you at ease right now because there's a there's a study done by Ellis Research that says 84% of pastors feel the same way that you feel. 84% of pastors feel the same way that you feel. And here's what I don't want to happen today. I don't want you to leave here. And I think it happens a lot whenever you hear a sermon on prayer, is that you quickly realize how little you pray and you quickly realize that maybe you're not as good as you thought you were at prayer. I don't want that to happen because when that happens, it leads to guilt and guilt leads to motivation. And that may lead you to pray the most epic prayer of your life at Camino Real after the service, right? You're gonna be around, you're gonna, dad, you're gonna be like, I'm gonna pray now. I'm 15 minutes into the prayer. The waitress comes up and is, you know that awkward moment where you try to decide where to pray? Like, Do we pray right now? Are the waitress gonna come? What do we do? You're just gonna push right through it. You're not even gonna care. But here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want you to feel guilty either because the problem with our prayers being motivated by guilt is it eventually leads to discouragement. And then your prayer life is dependent on guilt instead of interacting with the living God. We see in Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel really knows how to interact with a living God. So hopefully today that's what we get is how to interact with a living God effectively. So here's a timeline, Daniel chapter nine. You there? Daniel chapter nine. Here's where we are. The city of Babylon has fallen, has already fallen. The Medes and the Persians have taken over and it happened just as God had revealed in two visions in chapter seven and eight. Okay, it's happening just as God revealed. If we look at the timeline, chapter 9 is happening right after Daniel interpreted the writing on the wall. So even though it says chapter 9, you can place that right after chapter 5. Makes sense. And so King Cyrus from Persia has placed Darius king over, over the Babylon area. So here's what's happening. When we get to chapter 9, Daniel is literally seeing his, his visions and his prophecies coming true. So we read, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to the Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in what? Prayer and petition. Okay, let's, let's first thing. Daniel was consulting the writings of Jeremiah, the prophet of old, a prophet who had been preaching to both Israel and Judah nearly 70 years before Daniel was carried off to Babylon at age 15. You got that? So Jeremiah predicted Judah's captivity the very year that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were carried off to the Babylonian region. So Jeremiah's prophecy really captured Daniel's attention. But even more so, Daniel was deeply moved by Jeremiah's reference to prayer, which we're going to land on today. So Jeremiah 29 says this, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and you will bring me back and will bring you back from captivity. This helps to explain why Daniel prayed with such intensity and perseverance. Because it was said, Jeremiah said that the people will be delivered by what? By a prayer and through prayer. So Daniel's prayer life was deeply affected by this. Consider this, could could this be what God wants for our prayer life today? to pray with such intensity and perseverance, whatever situation we find ourselves in, here's here's the deal, every week we turn on the news and you guys know we hear another story of tragedy that has affected our country, of deep tragedy that has deep impact on our society. What is our reaction as a people of God? What should our response be in these moments I believe we can turn to Daniel and he lays out kind of a plan for how you respond in a day that's that seems to be going in the wrong direction so that's what we're gonna look at today you see scripture inspired Daniel's prayers and scripture should inspire our prayers when his word becomes the basis of our prayers then we pray in light of who he is his promises and faithfulness and what we're not who He is, His promises and faithfulness and what we're not. Think about the things that inspire you the most. Think about your friends, your family, your movies, music, music, and siblings or parents. Think about how those things affect you. It affects you in this way, because it affects the way you speak. It affects the way you speak. Whenever I was in and High School, my parents, uh, I had, had different friend groups, had, had uh, parents that knew all my friend groups. Some they liked. Some they didn't, but I would go and hang out with these these friends. And whenever I would go and hang out with these friends, I would come home and I would interact with my parents and they would notice there was a change. You see, my parents knew exactly who I was hanging out with by listening to me, by my language. Why? Because we speak to the degree that we've been spoken to. We speak to the degree that we've been spoken to. How I was communicated with throughout the course of the night kind of seeped in. And that's how I communicated with my parents. Sometimes that was a good thing, and sometimes that was not good so good thing. Eugene Peterson has a quote, and this is what the quote says, Because we learn language so early in our lives, we have no memory of the process, and would therefore imagine that it was we who took initiative to learn how to speak. However, that was not the case. Language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language, and slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer mama, dada, which I'm really rooting hard for right now, dada, dada. Bottle, blanket, yes, no, not one of these words is a first word. All speech is answering speech. We are all spoken to before we spoke. Therefore, we speak to the degree that we've been spoken to, and as we read and study God's word we begin to speak through that lens instead of our own filter. How sweet it is for God to hear his words come back to him. What we've been reading through scripture and praying those words back to him and say, God, you are almighty God. God, you are, you are Yahweh, Lord of all. I mean, I want that for my kid. I don't know about you, I'm trying to teach kid. I'm reading the Dada book by Jimmy Fallon all the time right now. I'm just saying it. And I can't wait for the day where she says, Dada. You know who taught her that word? Me? She's speaking the word that that I've spoke into her life. And I think it's awesome. Can you imagine what God feels whenever we speak his words back to him? You see scripture should inspire our prayers. And as scripture inspires our prayers, the Bible prompts our prayers then it should show us how prayer should look, right? Is there a way that we learn how to pray? You see, something else is Scripture gives us the pattern for our prayers. Scripture gives us the pattern for our prayers, and we read through Daniel, and you will quickly begin to realize that it seems like Daniel reaches into the future, rips out a page of Matthew chapter 6, when, D, when Jesus is, is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he's reading through it and saying, man, I want to pray like this. Because that's what we're going to notice as we begin to read through his prayer. Starting with verse 4. Lord, the great and awesome God. See, Daniel began his prayer by acknowledging who God is. And that sounds familiar to a lot of us as we turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Because in that he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Honored be thy name. Glory be be thy name. See the point was not a formula to be repeated over and over again. It's, the point is just to pray in this way. This is a guideline for prayer. And and by saying, Jesus said, by by saying, Father in heaven, you declare God's God's greatness. Jesus said, whenever you pray, here's what I don't want you to I don't want you to start with you. Whenever you pray, I don't want you to start with you. I want you to start with the God who's invited you into a relationship to call Him Father. That's where I want you to start. And when we begin to understand who God is, we begin to understand who we are and why we're here. It begins to put things in perspective for us, finances, struggles, fears, concerns, my relationships. It puts everything in context of who He is. And the more time we spend recognizing who we're talking to, the less concerned you become about those unresolved issues that you're asking him to resolve. Many times we miss this part. I miss this part. I don't stay on it long enough. And sometimes he's saying, just stay on it long enough for it to sink in. Don't rush by this acknowledgement because whenever you acknowledge me, it affects every aspect of your prayer from that point on. You don't start with you, you start with him. So, acknowledge who God is. The second thing we see is Daniel remembering God's faithfulness. Second part of verse 4 says, Who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. So, he's acknowledging God's faithfulness throughout all generations. Daniel has seen prophecies come true. Daniel is remembering the times whenever God saved him from the lion's den, saved his friends from the fiery furnace. He remembers the time that he saved Israel from Egypt, rescuing them from slavery. He's remembering, he's remembering those times. And here, here's what I would say. When your faith, when you say I trust you, when your faith intersects with God's faithfulness, then that paves the way for intimacy with God. When your faith intersects with God's faithfulness, it changes your life and changes the way you communicate with the Father. So number two, we we remember God's faithfulness. And number three is a little hard for us. Confess our sins. In prayer we confess our sins. Verse 5 says, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servant, the prophets. We spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. And he continues on and on and on about the wickedness that they've done and the sin that they've done and rebelled against God. See, Daniel followed his adoration with confession. You see, he continues to place himself in context of who God is we begin to notice one thing about his language. And I want you to notice this. Daniel, in his language, he never uses the word they or them. He uses the word we, our, and us 31 times in nine verses. And we're thinking, man, Daniel is such a faithful guy. He's such a servant of God. He's a man after God's own heart. Man, his prayer life is is incredible. But he included himself in this in this process of confession, here's what, I, here's what we can get out of this. How quickly we tend to call someone else's sins out before confessing our own. Daniel understood Isaiah's words, but our most righteous acts are as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. Daniel understand he didn't miss the boat. Daniel understand whenever he stood before a holy God, he's just as unclean as those standing right beside him. He understood that he needs God's grace and mercy to intersect, intersect in his life so he can approach a holy God. We need to include confession in our prayers because it reminds us that our righteousness is only dependent on Jesus Christ. You know, people from Western cultures want a God that's loving and forgiving, but not holy and transcendent. There's been studies done that shows us that people in Western cultures, when they pray, they exclude repentance and the joy of being forgiven. We include confession. We pray. When we include confession, we pray through the lens of who God is, that he's perfect in all his ways, that we are dependent on him. You see, when we pray in this way, our prayers come from a place of desperation because we need him. So, confess our sins. The last thing right here is ask. Simple. Ask. In verse 16, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem. Verse 17, we can go, continue on. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake. Give ear, verse 18, our God, and hear, open your eyes. In verse nineteen, I want you to get this. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay. Jesus, when we go to the New Testament, He says, "Give us today our daily bread." We ask. He also says, "Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be answered." We can give our hopes, our dreams, our our needs, our wants, our cares. But while we ask, we declare, for your name's sake for your name's sake. So that kind of gives us a pattern for, for how to pray. And, and, and then you begin to ask, well, okay, I get that, Chase. I get that, that makes sense, but how long do we pray for? Have you ever asked that question? Like, is it, do we just have to pray like Daniel did three times a day? How long do you pray? Let's turn to verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing the sins and the sins of my people, Israel, making my request to the Lord my God, for the, his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen earlier in a vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, look at that word, those two words, swift flight. Okay, in the original language is Hebrew, and those two words means yef and yif. Yef and yif, which means extreme weariness. Gabriel came to Daniel in extreme weariness. And we see that Daniel prayed three times a day. Daniel 6 verse 10 that was a pattern for life for him And I'm thinking well, okay do, do we pray in our extreme weariness do we pray until an angel comes to our door, doorstep and we see it well if that happens to you I mean that's never happened to me take a selfie and send it to me because I want to see how long and here's what I would say to you the length of our prayer is not dependent on the willingness of our God it's dependent on the condition of our hearts Sometimes in the morning, that may take five minutes. Sometimes it may take an hour. You know, Daniel daily surrendered. He daily went back to the Lord in prayer. Daniel was a prophet. He had to deliver a lot of tough information. Can you imagine the weight of the information that he had to give the people? And for Daniel, he stayed because God was not done working on his heart. He stayed to the point of weariness. And sometimes God gives us great insight and understanding. But I, I got to tell you that sometimes... The purpose is to just get us in the place of submission. You see, prayer leads us to the point of submission. Do you remember the story of Jesus in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane? He went up with us. He was right before he got arrested. He went with his disciples, and he told his disciples, he said, Stay here, and I'm going to go up, and I'm going to pray. Do you recall the prayer that Jesus prayed? He said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. This is hard for me. This is difficult for me, for me. Can you take it off my plate? Does this have to be this way? I know there's a lot of pain coming. I know there's a lot of suffering coming. Does it have to be this way? The very next verse says, For your will be done, not mine. Went back, woke his disciples up. You remember that? And he said, Why are you sleeping? Get up. And he went back. And he prayed a second time. The exact same prayer. God, will you please take this cup from me for my will, for my will not, not my will, but yours be done. Went back. Woke his disciples up. What are you doing, man? Up. And then he went back. And he prayed for a third time, and this is his third prayer. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So here's what we see. Jesus, knowing the outcome, still went back to pray time and time again. Why? Because it led him to the point of complete submission. You know, this situation with Jesus didn't have the greatest outcome for him. But you know what it did? It, got, it gave God the greatest glory. You know, if I'm honest with you, this has been hard for me. Um, even when I'm praying for Kit and her health, I'm I'm praying, God, will you take this cup from her? God, would you deliver her from what she's feeling and the pain that she's in? And time and time again, I go back. God, uh, does she have to go through this? Does she have to? And you know what? Sometimes I'm not ready to give up, get up. Because I'm not ready to say, your will be done. And that's just as honest as I could be. And you may be in the same place. And so what do I got to do? I've got to stay there. I've got to stay there long enough to say, you know what? I don't like what's happening, but your will be done. Here's what I would say to you. You can wrestle, you can declare God's glory and still wrestle with the situation you find yourself in. You can wrestle with God, you can can declare God's glory and deal with the concerns. You can declare God's glory and manage broken relationships. You can declare God's glory and struggle with where you are financially. And if you're not ready, it's okay. God says, I'm here, come on back and we'll wrestle with it some more. This is where we found ourselves in, even to this day. God, it's for your glory. And we're still wrestling, and that's okay. So submission leads us, or prayer leads us to the point of submission. And finally, prayer is a pivot point for our priorities. Prayer is a pivot point for our priorities. And time and time again throughout Daniel's life, we see his consistent approach to his prayer life when we get to even understand Jesus, he, he spent a lot of time in crowds of people. He spent a long time with his disciples. And one thing we see time and time again is Jesus wandering off by himself. Why? He went to go spend time with his father. He knew that, that his father was a priority. You see, you and I are not a priority for him. His father was a number one priority for him. And when Jesus, when, when most of us would say, I, I've had a long day I've had a tiring day. I just need to relax. When we would say, I have a big day tomorrow. I just need to get some sleep. Jesus says, I need to spend time in prayer with my father. I need to spend time praying. See, the more difficult the situation he found himself in, the more time he spent in prayer. When we prioritize our prayers, our prayers prioritize our actions and how we live and and what our schedules look like and what our families do. As We we as a people of God, I want you to hear, we as a people of God, we get to interact with a living God. It's our privilege, if you are called a child of God through Jesus Christ, then you get to interact with a living God. And how do we respond in engaging in the Babylon that we live in? We have to pray to the one when everything seems out of control. He has everything under control. So what does that mean for us? Does it mean that my prayer life's going to look different? Does it mean, I hope so. I hope this gets us all to the point where, man, in the culture, in, in the world in which we live, that God is inviting us not only into a relationship with Him, but an intimate relationship with Him where we can commune with Him every single day. And we say... Look, the world's out of control. I need you to take over and submit to His plans for our lives. Will you pray with me, Father? We are so thankful for the opportunity to come here and worship You. And God, we acknowledge that You are a great and awesome God. We remember Your faithfulness to us and how You've loved us with deep affection. How You sent Your Son to to, to, to pay pay the penalty for our sins. We, we admit that we are broken people in need of you to show up on our behalf. And God, we, um, if I'm honest, sometimes this is hard for us. But God, for your glory and for your namesake, we give you these things. We give you our lives. We give you whatever situation that we find ourselves in whatever hard time financially we find ourselves in, we have marital um, struggles. God, for your glory. And we're still going to wrestle with it. And you know that. But God, we give you, we give you our lives. We want to be a people of God that is passionately pursuing a relationship with you God, help us be like Daniel. Help us to find a place, a quiet place, where we just spend time with our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.